First of all, who has their party things going? Come on. I want to see it. Who's got it? If you... You don't... Okay. If you don't have one, then you're not going to have fun in this sermon. So, can, does any... There's baskets back there. Um, Yinka, is, are there more party favors left behind in those baskets here? Who, raise your hand if you don't have one. And raise your hand if your neighbor doesn't have one and they're not raising their hand. All right? So, go ahead and either get one for yourself. Do we have any more? I'll keep, I'm sorry, I raised your hands and we can't find them. Do, are we... Are, they were taken away. What... Oh my gosh. Let's just go ahead and sit here for a second. No, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going to put mine here, and when they come back, I'm going to go ahead and give the ushers permission to go ahead and hand those out, and we'll uh, do that. Um, there is a celebration that started probably a few days ago in America. You, you're, you're probably wondering, some of you might be on to, the, the, to the, the reality, most of you don't even have a clue what I'm talking about. It is an annual celebration. It is probably celebrated by, how many, how many millions of people are in America? 400 million, is that right? Yeah, how many? 200 million or whatever. So it's probably celebrated by 100 million people at some level or fashion. It is crazy how big this celebration is. People paint their bodies. People wear all kinds of funny hats. They dress up in costumes. People buy table mats and placeholders. They, they decorate their lawns during this party. Have you all seen it? It's happening all over the place. The TV is filled with advertisements for it. I mean, you can't even watch a show without seeing some, some wildly clad person. And not only do they do all those things, but it usually comes with a lot of screaming. There's lots of beer that's drunk around this party. It is amazing. And it doesn't just last for a day. It lasts for five months. Unbelievable. You got it now. It's, it's football season, right? We, we, I, I mean, there was Twitter, my Twitter and, and my text messages exploded when Tom Brady was freed up. I mean, there was a moment of silence and then shouting throughout the city of Boston and throughout New England when we discovered that Brady was free. There's a party going on right here, a celebration to last five months of the year. We know how to party in New England. So I, there were a few uh, of us, as we talked about this series, people said, I don't know if the party in God's going to work in New England, because you know we're kind of, you know, serious. And I looked at him and I said, we're not serious at Super Bowl. Every stodgy, church-going or non-church-going person gets excited when Brady throws a touchdown. My alma mater, I, there's all kinds of stuff at my college album. I mean, I mean, the colors are green and gold, and I, I bet all of the hometown of this university is filled with green and gold all weekend and then throughout the week to celebrate, to honor our football team. 
Now, I say that to let you know that uh, we have the ability to party. Can I, give, can I change party, party um, venues here for a second? When I went to Liberia, anybody ever been to, Li- been to Liberia? Anybody ever been to Africa? Anybody from Africa? Come on. Can I hear my Africans? Come on. Get excited. You guys know how to party. I, I don't even know why I'm preaching on this. I should have every African in our church take one of these series, sermon series and we'd be fine, wouldn't we, Tabby? Come on. When I, when I went to Liberia with my daughter and our team um, from Boston, I was treated with, as royalty because I was a pastor. And when I went to a, um, a town outside, uh, in a village, in the middle of, of, of nowhere, no lights, no big cities, in a very rural part of Liberia, when they heard that myself and our team, along with Sarah Hollingsworth, who was royalty in herself because she was living there at the time as a minister, they threw a party. When we drove up, there was a procession of about 50 to 100 of the townspeople waiting for us at the city limits. They had musical instruments. They got us out of the car. They walked us through the town, and they were singing and shouting and praising the Lord. We got to the church. They put me up on the stage, and they handed me a chicken. Now, you Africans know what that means. I had no idea what it meant. I just was looking at a live chicken. I soon found out that I was honored, that this was an honored gift for me to possess. And there, 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 there commenced more celebration with drinking Coca-Cola, some, some, some playing of football or soccer. I can't remember if it's called football or soccer there. Um, we had a great time. They knew how to party. Compare that with some of our experiences that are less than party-like in our churches across America, in our homes across America, as we view or think about the living God and praise not only His, who He is and what He has done for us, but also glory in the church and how we get to come together as New creations set free by God, empowered with the Holy Spirit to celebrate and live the life of God together. This African community understood that. Yet I grew up in churches and visited churches when I was a kid, but also throughout my life, that when you come into the church service or into a small group meeting or into a Bible study, it's anything but celebration. Now, hey, listen, I am contemplative. Every morning I spend time with Jesus It's just me and him, and I'm not shouting and dancing or whatever most of the time. Sometimes I do. But I love seriousness. I love uh, to to be in the presence of the Lord and wait in the Lord in silence. I love worshipful moments in in our service when we stop and we pray and we respond and we sense the holiness of God. All of those are significant. But right along with that is the celebrating joyful God that gives us hope and freedom. And oftentimes, we have relegated that part of our emotion, that part of our existence as a human being outside of church, in a bar, in a stadium, at a concert, 
at a party, but not in the presence of God. Why is that? Why is that? Well, maybe we can touch on that a little bit more today. And by the time that we get finished, all of us will be blown our horns. For those of you who for those of you who think that that's a little irreverent, stay with me. I don't think it's as irreverent as we think it is, especially when we look at scripture. And I would say, wouldn't you, that because of the the um, Oftentimes, the segregation of our emotions of joy and celebration from our following of Jesus and our seriousness about pointing out sin in our lives and other people's lives and dealing with all of that, that many people around us find it very non-inviting to seek out God. That because of the potential of our legalistic and... Um, condemning at times and maybe even judgmental attitudes about the lives of others, that we find ourselves not rejoicing in God and rejoicing in what He can do in people's lives, but we tend to meditate upon what the devil is doing in people's lives and how people are so enslaved. Where does our joy come from? It comes from the living God. We forget, even in the place of evaluating our own culture and the shortcomings of our sinful nature, which we all possess. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying that at all. I weep at times over the condition of our souls and the condition of our culture in the context of the living God. I take it very seriously. But we forget that the Scripture tells us that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderful wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's the kindness of our Father. It's the hope of our living God. It's the goodness of God that turns us around, isn't it? We had a picture this morning as we were praying of a, of a, of a little kid um, uh, Jumping off, or I, I, he, he fell down and scraped his knee, but let's give it a, give it a context. My four-year-old son gr- jumps up on the railing of our, of our porch, and I say, don't jump down, you'll get hurt. He jumps down, he scrapes his knee. What is the response of the father? The response of the father or the mother or whoever, that parent, parent authority is to come and find Isaac and pick him up. Let me see your knee. Are you okay? As he's crying and he's maybe having all kinds of emotions. Are you okay, son? Let's get that cleaned up. Let's wipe that off. I love you. It's going to be okay. Now, you know what? Jumping off of railings is not a great idea. But let's go have some fun together. Is that your view of God? Or is your view of God one who is always waiting for you to fall off the rail so that he can tell you how wrong you are? So that he can give you a lecture without hope or joy. And maybe you'll learn it next time. Oh, may we we be restored to the hope of our loving Father. The world is dying to see this kind of God, aren't they? They're hoping 
or believing, or maybe not believing, wondering, is there a God? And if there is, is this God like that? Does this God offer me hope? Does this God offer me uh, life? Does this God offer me vision for how I can live or what I'm to be living for? Is this God full of joy? Is this the same God that we, that we see in churches? Is it the same God that we see in our lives? Is the God that we proclaim or see the same God as Jesus who when the adulterous woman came to His feet looked at her in her sin gave her dignity expressed forgiveness showed kindness protected her from her accusers with His words and then gave her hope to move on in her life is this the God that we live for is this the God that we proclaim is this the God of celebration that we know. Our world hungers for this. This kind of love. This kind of faithful commitment. This kind of closeness. This is what we call, if we're living that, if we're receiving that and we're living in that, that's a description of the kingdom of God. That's a description of the kingdom of God. Now you say, ah, yeah, I know, but that's the way it's going to be in heaven. No. That's the kingdom of God that Jesus ushered in to this world to be with us until we get to heaven and in heaven and forevermore. We have the opportunity to experience that kind of God every day. Are you experiencing that kind of God? If you are, give him a shout. Go ahead. You guys are crazy. It's a crazy congregation here. I, I promise you we're not like, I mean, we're like this. All right. It's a soccer event. The kingdom of God is a great big celebration. And everyone is invited. Don't you hate parties when you're not invited to parties? Have you ever just kind of come across an email invitation or an invitation sitting at somebody's home and you look at it and you see who the party thrower is and you're like, honey, did we get one of those? I didn't see it. Surely we got one of those. I don't know. I don't think we're invited. I'm really upset. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? When you're left out of the party? Could there be anything worse than being left out of a party? Isn't it awesome that God has sent invitations to every human being that has ever lived and has said, you're invited. You're invited. You're invited. 1 Timothy 2, there is one God, 1 Timothy 2, 4, excuse me, God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Everyone. You sitting in here right now, your neighbor, your boss, your ex, your enemy, you, everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to the party. Say it again. The kingdom of God is a great big party. God is a partying God. He loves for us to celebrate who he is in one another, and the scriptures are filled with it. We're going to look the next couple of weeks at how 
how the scriptures, or the next few weeks, of how the scriptures are full of parties. But we're going to start with the Old Testament. How many of you know that there's Old Testament parties? For those of you who, who don't know anything about the Old Testament, don't know anything about uh, God's people, the children of Israel, you need to know that partying was at the center and is at the center of their existence. And it should be at the center of ours. Can we look at a few parties in the Old Testament? We'll look at Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. Exodus 23, verse 14 through 17. Each year you must celebrate three festivals in my honor. God's throwing a party. He's throwing three parties. He's given the party participants um, a guest list how they're to throw the party, what it's to be all about, and then he says, let's party. So three festivals in my honor. Verse 15, first celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring in the month of Abib, for that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. No one may appear before me without an offering. Verse 16. Second, celebrate the festival of the harvest, the festival of weeks, when you bring me the first crops of your harvest, or Pentecost. Finally, celebrate the festival of of the final harvest, the festival of tabernacles, at the end of the harvest season, when you have harvested all the crops of your field. At these three times each year, every man in Israel must appear before the sovereign Lord, so can we look at these things? Let's first of all say that these three, fe- these three festivals or feasts were week-long celebrations. Come on. Some of them had resting on the front end and the back end of it because the partying was so good to honor the Lord. But these were three week-long festivals or feasts of celebration, of honor, of reverence, of worship, all of that piled into one big, awesome event. Why? Because God wanted to celebrate some important things. How many of you know that I think it's totally God that we are filled with joy because of all the hope we have? But when we talk about the parties of God in the Scripture, there is a reason why these parties are happening. And there's a reason why we, whether we um, celebrate these actual feasts or whether we take what is being celebrated in these feasts and incorporate them into our daily lives, which I think that's what God wants in celebration, that we are continually celebrating and feasting on the goodness of who God is and what he has done. So when we look at these feasts, that's what we're going to talk about. So let's look at... Um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is actually a week-long feast that starts off with Passover, right? And so we, a little history, a little bit of the history. God told the Hebrew people exiting Egypt, uh, well, first of all, Passover. Uh, The children of Israel are in Egypt and they're enslaved. Um, God has commissioned Moses to talk to the Pharaoh and, and, and command him to let God's people go, and Pharaoh does not let them go. And so God begins to send a series of plagues on Egypt, um, reminding uh, the leader of Egypt and Egypt of who God is, the power of God, but also to communicate 
let my people go, right? And the final, the final plague or the final judgment of God uh, to Pharaoh and to the, to the people of Egypt was that God was going to take the life of every firstborn child, right? And so God then communicates to his child, the children of Israel, he says, place blood over the doorframe of your, of your over the doorframe of your door so that when the angel of death comes through, you will be covered or you will be protected. The blood of a, of a, of a, a, a lamb. And so they did. And in, after that, after that judgment came, God told the Hebrew people exiting Egypt not to allow their bread to rise, but to grab everything and leave hastily. He said, don't even let any leavening touch the dough. Just bake it and go. Bake your bread and go. So in their haste, in their immediacy, they grabbed the necessities and fled, fled toward the land God was preparing for them. And then he told them that in the future they were to commemorate this feast by getting all the yeast out of their house for seven days. So on a normal Passover Eve, part of the custom is that the family that celebrates Passover will leave a little bit of bread in their home in hidden places for the children to go and find. The children will search out the yeast until they eradicate the yeast from their house and the family takes that yeast or that bread and it's burned, right? We see in the Bible that yeast oftentimes speaks um, of sinfulness. Not always, but most of the time it speaks of sinfulness in our life. And so when we look at this feast that God commemorated for the children of Israel to celebrate not only their deliverance uh, from slavery, not only the deliverance from bondage, um, but also the deliverance unto a promised land eventually, we see some symbols that he, or we see some prophetic imagery here of who he was going to send that would not only save the firstborns, but all of them. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. The sin, the yeast is eradicated from our life. We can't, we can't remove every little bit of yeast from our life. It's almost impossible to get rid of all of yeast. But God takes every blemish in our life and through the blood that he shed on the cross, and we, we, we remember that today in communion, he washes us completely clean. He frees us. He is the Passover lamb. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival. And he's talking about this festival. Let us celebrate the festival not with old bread or, or yeast of wickedness or of evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. God establishing a feast, a Passover meal, and then a feast of seven days of unleavened bread, not only to remind the children of Israel of what he had done for them in Egypt, in rescue, rescuing them from Egypt, but also prophetically letting us know and letting the world know that there's one to come who is going to shed his blood for all of us. Remember, who is invited to the party? Everyone sheds his blood for you and me and for all of us found in the bondage of sin, in desperation, he came to set us free. He came to remove the leaven from our homes, our hearts, our lives, and to renew us. 
Is that a party for you and me? Wow, you're so somber. So, goodness gracious. Can we just take one minute? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can we? Thank you. Thank you. Can we just take one minute? Because I want you to remember that you, your life in Jesus is better than a football score. Can, so can you remember in your life or can you look at your life now? And there might be some of you in this room who are going, I don't know if I've ever had that celebration. But can you remember the point in your life where Jesus made all things clear to you? And you understood that He knew your name when He died on the cross? And that He knew your sin and your shame and your bondage and your, your hopeless path? And He said, Sean, I want to die for you. I want to shed my blood for you. I want to remove the leaven from your life. And can you remember the moment when that happened? I remember the moment that my brother put his hand on my shoulder and I walked the aisle as we did in Baptist churches back then, shook the pastor's hand and said, I want Jesus in my, in my life. He prayed for me and I felt the joy and forgiveness of God enter my body, my heart. Do you remember? If you remember, is it a party? Come on! Is it a party? And do you, do you, I, I feel like I just won the presidential election. I can't, can't get through my uh, teleprompter speech right now. Um, and do you remember when that happened in some of your loved ones' lives? Maybe the party is even bigger for you in that way. When you remember your mom or your dad or your husband or wife or your friend or your neighbor that you love so dearly, and the light bulb came on in their life, and they were set free by Jesus, that's a party. That's the party of Passover. That's the party of unleavened, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Let's move on. What about the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest or the, the, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost? It was a harvest festival that the, it, when the Israelites were uh, to present an offering of new grain in the temple, celebrating God's provision. But it was also attached to Moses as they came out of Egypt. Um, it was believed that 50 days after, after leaving Egypt is when he went up on Mount Sinai and received the word of God. And so the celebration or the honoring of God's word being given to his people, instructions on how to live, Instructions about who God is was celebrated during this feast. It's also, fast forward um, uh, in time to uh, Acts in the, in the New Testament, in the time after Jesus and after his ascension, and while the disciples were meeting in the upper room at Pentecost during this festival, is when the Holy Spirit of God descended upon the disciples and they were filled with His Spirit. They preached the gospel. While they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues and act like drunk people and they created such a commotion that people from all around the city that could hear or know what was going on came and wondered what was going on. And then Peter declared, hey, we're not drunk with wine as you might assume because we look like we're having a drunken party. But we're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And he begins to preach about this Jesus that we just talked about. He probably talked about Passover. We see part of that message. But he preached the gospel of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. And what does it say? 3,000 men were saved. Many more than 3,000 were probably saved with women and children. And the church was established. During this feast, is that an irony? Or is, is that a coincidence? Or is that God's plan from all along? Did he establish a feast of celebration in anticipation that he not only would see more and more people come to know Jesus, but be filled with his living spirit? Now the word that came down to Moses, that was written on a tablet, that was put in the temple, that was declared um, from house to house, the, the instructions of God that were memorized and meditated upon, that word, the living word, Jesus, was now living in us. And his word was written on our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. God setting up a feast or a celebration for us to celebrate the infilling of God living with us day by day, every moment of our lives in the beginning of the church. Is that a party? Okay, that's a cue. Whenever I say, is that a party? My teleprompter stops. Some of you, I'm not going to actually look you in the eyes, but some of you started off the morning, what is going on with this? And now you're kind of having fun with your, I I see it, it it is now legal. Is that a party? Third party. We end with the third party. The feast, uh, the the festival of the final harvest. This is interesting. There's a couple of things I, I... I pulled this off of CBN's website in regards to this feast, but there's a couple of things they highlight that I think are fascinating. And listen to me, uh, listen as I read this. So there's a background to this feast in Leviticus 23. There Moses instructed the people that the first day and the eighth day of the festival were to be special days of rest, set apart from others as they're celebrating the harvest and all that God has brought in um, over the year. But on the seventh day, uh, the seventh day became known as Hoshana Rabbah, the great day. The people, they developed a special observance and tradition to mark that special day in Israel. And the most spectacular, there was actually numerous things that they would do, but the most spectacular was the water drawing ceremony. Imagine, okay, so you can, if you need to close your eyes, but think about this because I want you to see a party. Imagine a whole parade of worshipers and flutists led by the priests to the pool of Siloam, where Jesus told the blind man to bathe his eyes after he put clay over them. The priests have two golden pitchers. One is for wine, and one is for water that they're going to they're draw from the pool. And as the flutes continue to play, there's a choir that's singing Psalm 118. So you got flutes, you got singers, you got dancing and celebration. Can you see it? You got the priest ahead. You got, it's, it's a happy time. The whole procession heads back to the temple through the water gate and a trumpet sounds as the priest enters the temple area and he approaches the altar with the two silver basins. He pours wine into one. He pours wine into one of the basins as a drink offering to the Lord and then water from the pool of Siloam into the other. The whole ceremony with the parade and the flutes and the singing was such a joyful occasion that one of the ancient rabbis wrote, quote, 
anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in this life. Now that is a party. You think about it. It's true. Good. Thank you. Somebody's got it. I wasn't really expecting that. I got to watch. Good job. Whoever that was. Good job. They were celebrating with such joy that one rabbi said, you have never seen any joy like this when this party happens. Well, what's interesting? Can we just connect the dots here? This same ceremony, Jesus spoke during this feast in John 7. And he said, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me, come and drink. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Can you see it? Flutes, singers, dancers, celebration, yada, yada, yada. They come to the temple, they pour the water out, and then Jesus goes, hello! This is about me! I'm the water. I'm the water. I'm the one that if you drink of me, rivers of life come out of you. That's the Holy Spirit. And not only, and probably for most that heard that, they had no clue what, you know, it was a journey. But for you and I, we get it, don't we? We get it. There's a celebration of God's living spirit within us of Him being the water. And then there's also another symbolic thing, and we'll wrap up here, and it's, it's, uh, it's called um, part of this same feast. At the end of the first day, the temple will be gloriously illuminated according to the Mishnah, that's part of the oral, tra- oral traditions of the rabbis. Gigantic candelabras stood within the court of the women. And each of the four golden candelabras is said to have been 50 cubits high, a cubit is somewhere between 18 and, 20, 18 and 22 inches. So that equates to 75 foot high candelabras. Right? In the temple, each candelabra had four branches. In the top of every branch, there was a large bowl. And four young men bearing 10 gallon pitchers of oil would climb the ladders to fill the four golden bowls on each of the candelabras. And then the oil in these bowls was ignited. Picture. 16 beautiful blazes leaping toward the sky from the golden lamps. And that remember that the temple was on the hill that rested at the top of the city. So think about these huge flames of fire and light illuminating the temple on the top of the city. At the beginning of this feast, lighting up the town for the whole week in celebration of this feast of God's provision in his glory. And then know that this, Jesus, once again, presents himself at the temple in this situation. And he uses this imagery, this fact, to teach this. And he spoke to the people once more and he said, what? I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to light. Come on. Jesus, the light of the world, taking us out of darkness. Jesus, the water of life, filling our souls with nourishment and life in the Spirit of God. Is that a celebration? 
All right. Come on up here, Ben. So when we talk about us celebrating God, we talk about one who is not just caught off guard by our celebration, but he's the one that initiates the celebration. Amen? And he's the one that initiates the celebration because he knows what we're going to be celebrating about, what really makes us happy. Anybody ever been to a party and the day after not felt like so much of a party? Right? Anybody ever been, and and I say this honestly even in here, we can stir up joy, but when we have real joy that's found in an eternal God, it never goes out. The light never burns out. The water never stops flowing. And we can celebrate fully. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you're a partying God. And you offer life today. You offer it to us in this room. You remind us of it. Many of us in this room have have found you, Jesus, to be our Lord and Savior. But maybe there's some who, who haven't. You offer to us in this room today protection from death, your blood has covered us so that when God looks upon me, He doesn't see my sinfulness that deserves death, but He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees life. You offer that kind of covering and forgiveness today, Jesus. You are the light of the world. You lead us into Your presence. You are living water that sustains our souls. And you are the Spirit of God who dwells within us. And we celebrate you. One thing that I didn't say, God, even as I pray, Lord, part of that last feast was to, I believe, to prophesy or to celebrate the final harvest. When we will see you come through the clouds in glory and you will take up with you those who have put their faith in you and together as one, we will live for eternity together that great harvest of of, of happiness and joy for those who know you, but Lord, for those who don't, a day of sadness, Lord, may there be something stirred in us this morning for those who don't know you. God, is there intercession that you would want to put in our hearts for people who have not experienced all that we've celebrated this morning? Maybe there's some of us in the room that have just forgotten. We've forgotten that life in you is joyful because we've forgotten who you are, and what you've done for us. Would you do a fresh work of joy and thankfulness in us this morning? As we stand up, Lord, we want to respond. Would you minister to us?